What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clips Convo Show. I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and we have a lot to talk about. The last time I was on here, I broke down the trade deadline scenario for the Clippers and my thoughts on what their outlook should be. And since then, we've had some pretty interesting developments. The Clippers are on a two-game winning streak, their first winning streak in about a month, which is crazy to say. Kawhi Leonard was a nominee for Western Conference Player of the Week. He is playing the best basketball we have seen him play since the 2021 playoffs. And there's a little bit more optimism surrounding the team at this present moment simply because of how well Kawhi Leonard has been playing. And that optimism is shared by me because ultimately when you get to the playoffs, what it often comes down to is how good is your best player. We have seen that time and time again over the last several seasons, including last year in the NBA Finals when the Boston Celtics were touted as a bad matchup for the Golden State Warriors. But Steph Curry went God mode and was by far the best player on the floor and carried what I think was a flawed Warriors roster to a championship. So if Kawhi Leonard is at this level right now, and I imagine you can assume he'll only get better as he gets more games under his belt, there is real reason to believe that he can get back to that 2021 playoff level that he showed in those, I mean, gosh, just incredible minutes that he gave the Clippers on their way to a Western Conference Finals appearance. Unfortunately, he missed those last two games of the semis and was not able to play after that. But that is Pete Kawhi in my eyes. It really rivals his 2019 run with the Raptors. And on the trajectory that he's on right now, I think there's reason to believe he can get back to that. There was some understandable skepticism early in the year when Kawhi was taking things slow. He was missing games and Really, the the only skepticism that I brought up on this pod was how long it was going to take for him to get to this level. I didn't think he couldn't get back, but I was just concerned how long it might take because of the minutes restrictions that the Clippers were placing him uh, underneath and, and some of the other things just with how conservative the Clippers are with working players back from injury, especially a guy like Kawhi Leonard. But in my eyes, with the setback that he suffered early in the year, He is ahead of schedule right now when you consider all that has gone in to his recovery because he didn't just come back and start working his way up. He came back, played two games, and then was sidelined for several weeks again and then uh, had to work his way back after that. So there's been a lot that, that has gone into this return and recovery for Kawhi Leonard. But man, he looks good, and there's a lot of reason for optimism Because of that. So that's the first development that has happened since the last time I got on this podcast and talked about the Clippers trade deadline approach. Uh, But there's also quite a few other developments that have gone on. Terrence Mann has stayed in the starting lineup and there were some reports that came out today saying that is the plan for the Clippers going forward. And the team has, you know, people say they don't leak, but I think that's kind of a, uh, I think that's kind of a tire narrative when you talk about the Clippers and their front office not leaking, because if you look at some of the moves that they've made over the last couple of seasons, some of them have got out. And and a lot of the trends that you you see pop up in, in news cycles when it comes to the Clippers, I mean, they've acted on quite a few of those. So I don't really think we can say that they, you know, definitively don't leak because at the end of the day, there's two parties involved in every single trade discussion. Well, the Clippers may not be the party that's leaking this interest. If they go to, let's say, for example, the Raptors 
and express interest in Fred Van Fleet, there is a very real possibility that the Raptors leaked that out in order to drive up the price of a player like Fred Van Fleet. So there's just no way to say definitively that the Clippers don't leak. And I think that's kind of created this perception amongst the Clippers fan base that if there's any report that comes out ahead of the trade deadline that talks about the Clippers, it could be, you know, dismissed entirely because the Clippers don't leak. I, I understand why you get that perception because of some of the out of left field moves that they've made over the last few seasons, but I just don't think that's entirely accurate, especially with the way that things go with two parties being involved and some of the incentives that may exist for another party to leak the interest that the Clippers have. So I wouldn't lean into that entirely. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because we have had some information come out about some potential uh, trade targets that the Clippers have shown interest in and, and potentially, uh, shopping a guy like John Wall or some of these other reports that have come out, I think there is some reason to believe that there is validity in these reports. And I wanted to focus a little bit more on that in this podcast. It's not going to be entirely about trades like my last episode was, but we still do have a couple of weeks until the trade deadline. So I don't want to entirely ignore that topic because it's a pretty big deal. And uh, as we get closer to the deadline, that's when uh, teams are going to really be on the phone and, and trying to decide what direction they're going to go. And you could almost guarantee that the Clippers, uh, big or small, will do something at this year's trade deadline because they always do. And with the team sitting just one game above 500, uh, they pretty much have to if they want to actually salvage this season and make a real push. And on that point, I think I talked about it in my last episode. The Clippers, and I know this might sound crazy, to a lot of you, and it almost sounds crazy to myself, but I think they're a lot closer than people realize. And if you guys follow me on Twitter, you know that I've kept it real all season. I am not one of those Clippers homers that will just blindly uh, follow and support every single move this team makes and, and believe that they are you know can do no wrong. That is far from who I am. <clears throat> Maybe at one point that's who I was a couple of years ago when I, you know, wasn't as jaded with, you know, some of these playoff collapses and, you know, trades that haven't worked out. But I, I definitely consider myself to be a pretty impartial when I am evaluating uh, a lot of these moves that the Clippers make and potential moves that they could make. So when I say that I think the Clippers are closer than a lot of people realize, it is not coming from a biased or um, you know, blind, optimistic perspective. I, I truly believe that is the reality, and it is dependent on a lot of data. If you guys have listened to this podcast uh, really since its inception, but certainly as of late, you guys know where I stand on their current guard rotation situation because the Clippers have a lot of guards, a lot of guards that do not play well together, and unfortunately, a lot of guards who have played a lot of minutes together despite the fact that they do not play well together. And that kind of leads me into, and you guys know this if you listened to the last episode, my belief on how they should approach the trade deadline. And when I say the Clippers are closer than it seems, the reason why I say that is, is because I truly believe a lot of the lineups that have been out on the floor this season have put a serious ceiling on how good this team can be. Because when you look at the lineups that have gotten the majority of the minutes, now we're over halfway through the season, and then you look at some of the other lineups that are the same iteration of available players that has nothing to do with who has and has not been available, 
You look at how good some of these pairings have been and the small sample size of minutes that they've received and then how bad some of these other groups have been and yet they have gotten a lot longer leash and uh, Ty Lue has has given them a lot more time to try to figure things out and it just hasn't happened. So what I mean by that is that I think there is still untapped potential with this Clippers group right now. And what I think that involves is both Reggie Jackson and John Wall being out of the rotation entirely. And whether that means both of them need to be involved in a trade because Ty Lue won't take both of them out of the rotation entirely, or it means that he experiments with those two guys out of the rotation entirely once Luke Kennard comes back, I think that's something that I want to see an extended period of time with before we say the Clippers need to go and make a move for a traditional point guard. Because as of right now, the data shows that the Clippers are very, very good when both John Wall and Reggie Jackson are off the floor. And that's with a lot of different combination of guards. And I want to get into that right now because there's a lot of talk right now about the Clippers potentially going after a guy like Mike Conley. And I don't want to go too deep into that because I I dedicated about half of my last podcast episode to Mike Conley. And if you need my in-depth thoughts on that, go listen to my last episode. You guys know I'm against that move for a lot of different reasons. And one of the primary reasons being, I just don't think he answers the questions that the Clippers have right now. I don't think he's the solution to their problems right now. The Clippers have some very talented and unique guards on their team. Terrence Mann, who a lot of people see as a wing, including Ty Lue, has been the team's starting point guard over the last several games. And I think he's done a great job. It's been up and down in terms of his individual production, but that's much less of an issue when you consider the role that he's playing. I have compared his role in this starting lineup to the role of Patrick Beverly when he was the Clippers starting point guard in 2021. It doesn't matter what his individual output is. It's the fact that his skill set complements that group in a major way. What's his skill set? It's making winning plays. It's crashing the offensive glass. It's getting out in transition. It's cutting. It's making the right play. It's being a capable and willing catch and shoot threat. It's a lot of different things that go into that particular role. And I think Terrence Mann plays it perfectly. And the data affirms that it really, really does. When you look at how good the Clippers have been when Terrence Mann is out there as the lone guard. And you guys know how I am. I don't just like to throw around numbers and throw around narratives and things like that without giving you guys some actual data to back it up. So here are the numbers. When Terrence Mann is on the court without John Wall and Reggie Jackson, the Clippers are outscoring their opponents by 9.4 points per 100 possessions, which is in the 94th percentile. That is very, very good. And that's over 760 possessions. So a pretty significant sample size at this point. And the exact same goes for the Clippers other guards. And I'm I'm not talking about their point guards right now, because for this uh, data point, I'm looking at the Clippers numbers and their impact with both John Wall and Reggie Jackson off the court. So that was the number with Terrence on there. It's plus 9.4 per 100 possessions. And when you go take a look at Norman Powell, who is a really interesting case because while he gives the Clippers a lot of very good individual utility with his scoring and with his ability to get to the free throw line and his athleticism, he's been pretty much a net negative in almost every single lineup pairing that he's been involved in this year, except when he is out there without John Wall and Reggie Jackson. 
When Norman Powell is out there and both John Wall and Reggie Jackson are on the court, the Clippers are outscoring opponents by 7.3 points per 100 possessions. Not quite as good as Terrence, but still very, very good. Now let's take a look at Luke Kennard, a guy who I think a lot of people have forgotten about and a guy that I think a lot of people have forgotten how important he is because of his injury situation over the last few weeks. When Luke Kennard is on the floor without John Wall and Reggie Jackson, the Clippers are dominating opponents with a plus 23.7 differential per 100 possessions. That is in the 100th percentile. The Clippers are flat out dominant when Luke Kennard is on the floor and both John Wall and Reggie Jackson are on the bench. Now, what does that mean for how they might approach this trade deadline? While it's not the biggest sample size in the world for any of these combinations, quite simply because Ty Lue has been way too reliant on both John Wall and Reggie Jackson, I think you're starting to see some trends that are very much sustainable. It's the fact that the Clippers do not need a traditional point guard on the floor when you have guys like Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, and Norman Powell who are all very capable ball handlers and are guys who, as the data shows, have been very good when they're out there without the other teams well, excuse me, without the team's two other traditional point guards. And it's something that is very interesting for this Clippers team because we've seen some discussion about a potential disconnect between the front office and Ty Lue. I cannot speak to exactly what that is, but when you take into account some of Ty Lue's comments, uh, actually one of them came directly to me when I asked him, is there a possibility where you guys have already shown the willingness to go away from Reddy Jackson in the starting group where you go away from John Wall in the bench group and then don't play a traditional point guard entirely. And he said, essentially, no. I have a soft spot for point guards. I like to keep one of them out there on the floor at all times. And if that's the case, it goes back to something that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. If the Clippers were to lean into a wing-heavy lineup with one guard out there, and that one guard being Luke, Norm, or Terrence, then you would have to deal away both John and Reggie in order to get extended minutes with those lineups. Because as of right now, Ty Lue hasn't shown the willingness to play neither of those two guys. And it's been interesting because when John got hurt, I thought we might see some of that because Reggie had fallen out of the rotation. But then with Luke also being hurt at the same time, there's really no way to, to have Reggie out entirely unless you were to give all of his minutes to a guy like Rocco or Amir. And we know that's something that Ty Lue's not going to do. So I'm really interested to see what happens when Luke Kennard comes back from injury because that's going to be the real indicator to me if Ty Lue has the willingness to lean into these lineups that, as the data shows, have been dominant this year. He hasn't really shown the willingness to do that unless his hand has been forced by injuries, foul trouble, or just... Very, very poor play from one of Reggie or John. And even then, with those guys playing poorly, Ty has still pretty regularly kept them in despite that. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens when Luke comes back. I hope it's soon. We don't know when that's going to be. There's been some reports about him progressing well. Uh, I would love to see Luke back before the trade deadline because I am very, very intrigued to see how Ty Lue handles that situation with Reggie being available John not being available, and then Luke now being available. Because what the data shows is that Luke, with neither John nor Reggie on the floor, is a dominant, dominant lineup. And it's over 328 possessions, which isn't a ton, but it still is a pretty decent sample size in my mind that it gives you a pretty good look into how the Clippers could potentially fare 
if both John Wall and Reggie Jackson were sent out at the deadline. And that's, of course, uh, assuming those guys are not sent out in a package that brings back a Mike Conley type player who would, of course, slide right into that point guard role, uh, whether it be the starting role or the backup role. So if you guys haven't been able to tell by now, what I think the Clippers need to do at this year's trade deadline is part with both John and Reggie. And again, you guys know this. I've said it a million times, but I'll say it again right now. It has nothing to do with how I feel as those two guys as people or even necessarily how I feel about them as players. Both John and Reggie have been incredibly kind to me. i got a really positive relationship with both those guys, especially Reggie because he always goes out of his way to say hello and, and to talk to everybody. And, and he's definitely the nicest guy that I've been around in my short time as a as a beat writer. But when you look at their fit on this Clippers team at this stage of their career, I think the data has started to accumulate enough where you can determine that neither one of those guys are the right fit for this team, especially with Ty Lue really feeling the need to play one of them at all times and the other guards that need minutes. It has created some very, very bad, harmful lineups that have, in my opinion, put the Clippers where they're at right now in the standings. I think the Clippers could be much higher in the standings right now if they hadn't put so much reliance on John and Reggie, and if they had a greater willingness to go away from both of those guys when the situation and the matchup called for it. So going back to the potential deal that the Clippers may make at this deadline, I think packaging both of those guys, and you might say, well, they don't have any value, and that's true in terms of their um, production as players, but with them both being expiring deals, there is some value there. If you package both of their expirings and a player like Brandon Boston or a future first or future second or multiple future seconds, you know, construct the package how you want to. I think you can legitimately bring back an impactful backup center. Who exactly is that going to be? Well, we don't know, but there are a lot of options better than what the Clippers have ran out there for most of this season. So I don't think that John and Reggie should be packaged for another point guard. And the main reason I feel that way is because I really like what I've seen from the lineups without one. And it's a big leap of faith for a guy like Ty Lue, who has been so reliant on point guards uh, this season and, and throughout his, his time as a head coach. But the data really affirms that it is a positive development and a positive direction for the Clippers to advance in when you look at how good they've been with both John and Reggie off the court. And could you potentially make the argument that that's, well, it's just because those two guys have been so bad, and if you bring in a guy like Conley who's better, it would look different? Yeah, potentially. But even then, you run into the same issue, where a guy like Luke needs minutes, and I would sure hope he's not going out in a deal that brings in Conley, because that would make no sense. guy like Norm needs minutes. Terrence needs minutes. You still have guards that need minutes. If you go and trade for a guy like Conley, well, he's certainly slotted into minutes. And now you're still having that awkward fit with guards that don't play a whole lot of defense, and I don't think that's the right way forward. I really don't. Because Mike Conley, while he might be an upgrade over John and Reggie, has the exact same issues that those two guys have in terms of being old, in terms of being slow, in terms of being a defensive liability, in terms of not being all that great of a shooter at this point in his career. Of course, he had that game against the Clippers where he lit it up, but he's shooting about 38% from the field this season. He is not the answer, and I don't think any of the other available point guards are the answer either for the package that the Clippers have to offer. Now, let's say the Clippers do what I think they should do, and they send out John and Reggie for a potential you know, backup 
center that isn't going to play a whole lot of minutes, but is, you know, a guy who can spell zoo for however long he needs. And now they're without a traditional point guard entirely. You have man as the starting one. You have Luke and Norm as your two guards coming off the bench. There is potentially some concern there about the Luke and Norm pairing because the Luke and Norm pairing is one that is, you know, theoretically not great because both of those guys are not great defenders. Um, You know, you look at the Luke and uh, John pairing, the Luke and Reggie, the Norman Reggie, the Norman John, none of those have been great. But when you look at Luke and Norm and the potential lineups that they would be playing in, if the Clippers were to move on from Reggie Jackson and John Wall, it's actually pretty encouraging. So far this season, the duo of Norman Powell and Luke Kennard, when both John Wall and Reggie Jackson are off the court, has a plus 14.8 net rating. That is very good. The defense has not been so great, but the offense has been so good that you feel decent about that. Now, if you still wanted to avoid that pairing because of the defensive concerns, and I think that's logical, I think that's definitely uh, something that you might want to try to avoid, then there is a way around that. With Terrence Mann in the starting lineup, if you wanted to avoid the Luke and Norm pairing in that bench backcourt, you can take Terrence out about midway through the first, bring him back with that bench group. Because the pairing of Terrence and Luke without John and Reggie has a plus 22.2 net rating so far this season. And the pairing of Man and Norm without John and Reggie has a plus 12 net rating so far this season. So there are a lot of different ways you can configure that bench group without John and Reggie that avoid the Norman-Luke pairing. And even if you do have to go to the Norman-Luke pairing, it's been good this season. So pretty much Every single guard combination that you could possibly imagine the Clippers throwing out there without John and Reggie has been good this season, especially when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have been available, healthy, and on the floor. So if the Clippers continue to throw one of those two guys in the rotation and refuse to move them, it's because they have this belief that a point guard, I'm putting my fingers in quotes, point guard is the answer. And needs to be on the floor, which I completely disagree with. You guys know that. So I want to circle back to something I said at the beginning of the podcast. And that is the Clippers are closer than people realize. The reason why I believe that is because this data exists. There are multiple lineup combinations with players currently on the roster that are dominant. But the problem is that those lineup combinations have played much, much less than other lineup combinations that have been disastrous. And by disastrous, I mean like bottom five combinations in the entire NBA. One of those being Norm and Reggie. And it's not either one of those two guys' faults, which Tyloo has talked about quite a bit. It's just their particular skill sets, specifically on the defensive end, do not work well together. And that is something the Clippers are going to have to look at Very, very long if they want to try to salvage this particular season. And I don't think the answer is a trade for another similar player. I think the answer is departing with both John and Reggie, bringing in a backup center or some front court piece that can help spell Zoo, and leaning into some of your other guards in groups that make sense. 
because as the data shows, and it could go back to last season as well and the season prior, the Clippers have been very good without a traditional point guard on the floor. And it's just because of the way this team is constructed. So we'll see what they do, but that is how I feel about their upcoming decisions in the next two weeks with the trade deadline and other things that the Clippers are going to have to look at even before the trade deadline once a guy like Luke gets healthy and they got to decide what they're going to do with their rotations. I think the data speaks for itself, and I'm not exactly confident that the Clippers will go that direction just because they've shown a real obsession with point guards, a particularly aging point guards who are past their prime over the last few seasons. But when I say the Clippers are close, that's why I say it. Because I don't think there is a trade out there that ascends them into some new tier that wouldn't require a package that the Clippers just don't have the assets for. But they do have lineup combinations already with players currently on their roster that have been dominant this season. But as I mentioned, the problem is that those groups have played significantly less than other groups that, I mean, even before they played together, you could probably determine we're going to be horrible, and they have been horrible and have continued to be horrible. So it'll be interesting to see what the Clippers do. But as of right now, I think the answers exist on this roster outside of a backup center. And of course, there's been reports about the Clippers not even really wanting one of those because Ty wouldn't play him in the playoffs. I don't think that matters. You still need it as a potential option because you don't know what could happen with Zoo, whether that be foul trouble, which he is pretty susceptible to, or rolling an ankle. I mean, anything could happen. You have to have at least some other playable big. So we'll see if the Clippers go and get one. But when you look at some of these developments with lineup pairings that have seen decent enough time on the floor to determine that they're good or determine that they're bad, the answers exist within this roster right now. And in my opinion, which is backed by the data, it's sitting both Reggie and John down or moving them away and leaning into a guard rotation of Terrence, Luke, and Norm. Because while all three of those guys are flawed in their own ways, there are certainly different lineup iterations that bring out the best version of them and have been dominant this year, especially when alongside the team's two stars. So that's how I feel about the Clippers' next two weeks and the decisions that they have to make. I believe the answers exist within the roster right now, and I really hope Luke comes back soon because the front office might need at least some stretch of time with both John and Reggie out of the rotation before committing to that entirely. Well, the data shows what it shows right now. It hasn't really been an intentional move for the Clippers that we've seen these different lineup combinations. It's been because, you know, John's been out, you know, or Reggie has, one of the two guys has been the only one available and it's led to some of these groups being out there. But if John, or excuse me, if Luke comes back before John, which, I would anticipate happens. And Ty tries some of these groups without Reggie and without John because he's hurt. And they work well, just like Terrence in the starting lineup has worked well. I think you're going to have some more incentive for the front office to lean into that further. Because as of right now, I wouldn't really trust them to go that direction because it would just kind of go away from everything that they have shown over the last few seasons. But I want to end this episode by saying this and really driving home this one point. I have been pretty open and honest about my feelings towards where the Clippers are right now. 
The fact that they are one game over 500 over midway through the season with much of that coming against the easiest schedule in the NBA, you have some concern there. Because even with the injury situations that they've had, the Clippers have not looked like a championship caliber team for much of this season. There have been glimpses, but there have not been sustained stretches of that championship level play. But when you look at some of these groups together, especially with Kawhi Leonard playing the way he's playing right now, I think they are a few tweaks away from entering that tier. Now, whether or not they're willing to make those tweaks, well, that remains to be seen. But with the roster they have right now, albeit a flawed one, I think there are ways to maximize the skill set of everybody on this team and to complement Kawhi Leonard and Paul George with groups that make sense. That is why I still hold a little bit of hope and a little bit of optimism that this Clippers group has what it takes because I think the pieces exist. The pieces for a championship roster are here. It's just a matter of putting them in place. It hasn't happened for much of this season, but in the times that it has, whether intentionally or accidentally, the Clippers have looked apart, especially with Kawhi Leonard playing like this. So we will see what they do but I think the answer already lies within the roster outside of potentially a backup center. That is how I feel right now. We will see what happens, but I really hope the Clippers don't do something stupid. (laughs) I really hope the Clippers don't do something stupid because they feel close to me. They feel close to a championship level team right now. And I know that sounds crazy when you look at their record. I've said it 50 times, but the pieces exist. You just got to put them in place. And I think the data paints a pretty clear picture on what that should look like. And it's neither John Wall nor Reggie Jackson being in the rotation. And whether that means Ty has to sit them down and make a tough decision or the front office has to move them somewhere else, that's what needs to happen. And I think both of those guys still have utility as individual players. But when the Clippers already have other guards that are simply better and need minutes and don't play well alongside them, You have to have these hard conversations. And I love both of them as people. I love them both as players, but it's just not the right fit right now. So the Clippers have some decisions to make in the next two weeks. And as I always say, I'll have coverage in both written form and podcast form. Maybe some video breakdowns on Twitter. We'll see. But that is how I feel right now. I hope I articulated it well because I truly do believe that the Clippers have what it takes if they put these pieces together properly. If they are going to make a move at this year's deadline, I hope it is not for another point guard that is not a defender, not a great shooter, and just fits that, fingers and quotes, point guard role. Don't believe in that, especially not for this group. So we will have to wait and see what happens. So I want to thank you all so much for listening. Again, we're going to have another episode coming up next week, which will be at that point around one week before the deadline i wouldn't be surprised if something happens in between now and then and then in between that episode and the next one i certainly would anticipate something happening but oftentimes it even goes down to the last minute of that february 9th trade deadline so again as i continue to say we have to wait and see but those are my thoughts i stand by them and i think the data supports them and i always want to share with you guys what i feel and you guys know that at this point Yes, I want to see the Clippers do well, but I'm not letting that cloud my judgment in terms of analyzing the data for what it is, utilizing the eye test as well. All of that goes into these takes that I have and hope that makes sense. 
Again, I don't expect any everyone to agree, but I hope I articulate it in a way that uh, at least has some level of validity, even for those who disagree. So I appreciate you guys so much for tuning in. Got a big game against the Lakers tomorrow. I will be in the building. If anybody's there, come say hello. Excited for that one. <laughs> I suppose some people have been talking about it. The Battle of LA is not entirely off, but uh, tomorrow should be a fun one. So until next time, you guys, I appreciate you all for tuning in, especially if you listen till the end. Much love and go Clippers.